from God's word, Genesis 22, starting in verse 1. This is the word of God. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offering as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men And they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. So far the reading of God's own holy word. May add his blessing to the reading and proclamation of this morning. People of God, this is an emotion-filled passage. Tremendously difficult passage, some of which we can understand and some of which we can look at and still scratch our heads a bit as to why this path. But what must have been going on in Abraham's mind when he heard these words? This call, to call this a test seems to be something of an understatement. Who is this God that Abraham has been called to serve? Had he heard him clearly, maybe this was one of those bad dreams, (laughs) Or a vision that just wasn't altogether clear. Does God promise and then change his mind? 
Or does he forget what he promised? Dietrich Bonhoeffer uttered these powerful words in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, when he wrote, When God calls a man, he bids him come and die. To come and die to himself, all of his desires, all of his wants, all of his decision-making, his planning. Oh, yes, we plan, but we ultimately submit it all and lay it all before the Lord. He calls people to trust him so completely that we will do whatever he asks, trusting him fully and finding him to be good. He works in us to change us for good. Now, his goodness includes his work of removing whatever keeps us from living fully for him. That is ultimately the renewal of the earth that comes at the end. When when Jesus says, behold, I'm coming to make all things new, he's going to remove all that which has kept all of creation from living for God fully. Not just humanity, but all the earth, as it too is under the curse. But his goodness... His goodness at times is painful for us, removing whatever is keeping us from living fully for him. Some of those cherished sins, those cherished thoughts that we have. This sounds all wrong for those of us who like the choose-your-own-adventure storybooks. Children, you know about those books, don't you? You can decide what page you want to read to determine how the story ends. Very popular books, not only for children, but very popular for the way adults like to live. We want to decide how the story is going to go. We want to decide how it's going to play out, what part is going to be in our story and what parts we're going to leave out. We don't want to have to wait. We don't want things to be painful. And you could add the list of all any number of things that we we want to we want to see as as erased from our our life's story. And so, when things don't go smoothly, we begin to complain. Or when they are going smoothly, we think, okay, perfect formula. Whatever I'm doing, I've got to keep doing it because I like what God is doing right now in my life. I want this to just continue. I want, I want to let the good times roll, we might say. And so we serve him formulaically, thinking, well, this must be the right way. And if I just keep doing this, then he'll just keep giving me what I want, what I like, what I think is most important. But the Bible teaches us that we don't worship and serve God for what he gives us. We worship and serve him because he's worthy to be worshipped. Now, we've seen Abraham and Sarah tested in many ways, in their patience, in their confidence in God's Protection. Why does God test us? Now, I'm not going to give the, the final answer on that today, but I want us to look at that a little bit this morning as we're looking at Genesis 22. Why does God test us? And I hope we can see the goodness of God behind it. 
behind the testing. Students, you like testing, right? Probably disappointed that Christmas break is here now. Wish you could still be in school taking tests. Can't wait for the exams when the break is over. I know how that goes. That was the way I was in school. Well, pastors aren't supposed to lie, so I guess I shouldn't say it that way. I couldn't wait for Christmas break. Couldn't wait for the test to be done. Always thought it was ridiculous that they would put the exam after the break. Like I'm going to remember anything after Christmas. But testing is good. It it tells us, it it, it reveals what we understand, what we don't understand. It reveals where we've got to study a little harder, where we've got to think a little more deeply. Think of other types of testing. Safety testing on products. Companies test their products to see if there's a design flaw, if there's any weakness in that product. For what reason? To make it a better product. To make it safer. So we can think of reasons why testing is good. Though we don't always want to be tested. We don't always want to go through the test. Well, Abraham and Sarah were being made stronger in their faith through testing. That's how Genesis chapter 22 opens. Abraham, or God says this, or the word of God says this. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Do you know what I mean now when I say a test is kind of an understatement? Take your son... Your only son, whom you love, and offer him up as a burnt offering to me on the mountain that I will show you. Abraham had seen that God could do the impossible. Sarah conceived at around 89 and gave birth around age 90. He had protected them from their enemies, but this seemed so impossible to understand. Would Abraham do whatever the Lord asked and trust that he was able to keep his promise? Well, hold that thought. I was talking with someone this week about sins of commission and omission. We often look back and we think about the things that we did wrong, but we often don't think about the things that we have failed to do that we ought to do. We've recognized the sins that we commit. We often don't think about those things that we omit that we should do as sins, but they are. By failing to do what God requires, we are guilty of sin. It reveals areas of our lives where we think, well, the Lord doesn't have authority over that part of my life. I don't have to do that. Well, what kind of things? Well, confessing our sins, whatever they may be, omission, commission, maybe anger when a spouse dies, frustration at a disobedient child, We take these things to heart and we blame God and say, you're the problem that I'm angry. It's your fault that this child turned out this way. And I don't like it. (laughs) 
But we must remember that tests reveal what's inside of us. They don't call into question God's sovereignty or his goodness. They reveal what's inside of us that needs to change. For God is good. And this was a huge, huge test. The promise was threatened. Abraham had sent Ishmael away. Back in chapter 21, we can see that. In chapter 21, verse 12, he had sent Ishmael away at the Lord's command. And we see that that was not altogether a a bad thing or, or a loss because Ishmael ends up marrying an Egyptian woman, showing that he had no desire to live under God or his covenant. We see what happened there, verse 21 of chapter 21. But the reason I bring that up and and, and refer to that is there's no backup plan, (laughs) friends. No backup plan. Ishmael's out of the picture. Isaac is his only son, the son of the promise. And God says to him, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go and offer him as a burnt offering. Now, it's easy for us to reconcile this in our minds because we know how the story turns out, right? Well, we know how this is all going to work out. But imagine you don't know the end of the story. Imagine yourself in Abraham's position. He would be much like us if he was thinking, can I serve a God like this? Is he good? Does he know what he's doing? This doesn't fit into my plan. Not to mention what he might be trying to say, well, how am I going to put this to Sarah? How am I going to tell my wife this? Oh, yeah, I had this vision, and uh, Isaac has to go. What do you mean? He's got to move out? It's kind of early. No, no, I have to sacrifice him. Huh? I'm 90, Abraham. There's probably not going to be another son in the, in the picture here. Maybe you better go back and listen again. Make sure you got it right. When God tests us, he, he often asks us, do you love me more than dot, 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 fill in the blank. Do you love me more than this child? Do you love me more than your spouse? Do you love me more than your freedom in your singleness? Do you love me more than your job? Whatever. I was thinking about that question that Jesus posed to Peter when I was thinking about Genesis 22. You remember how Jesus said it to Peter, do you love me more than these? I think it was purposefully vague so that we might be able to look at it in a number of different ways. Do you love me more than these disciples do? Than, than, these, than these disciples love me? Do you love me more than you love these disciples? Do you, do you love me more than you love these things? This, this fishing trade, this, this occupation, this calling. Do you love me more than these? The Lord asks us if we truly love him more than anything else and trust him, laying down everything before him. 
This passage challenged me. Because the Lord hasn't asked me to give my firstborn son. How often don't we find it a hardship when the Lord says, why don't you give up that Saturday to serve someone? Why don't you serve on the Christian school board? Why don't you serve on that church committee? Why don't you help out in the nursery? Why don't you fill in the blank? Something, something relatively easy. In fact, almost everything is easy, isn't it, by comparison to this? I'm asking, Abraham, do you love me more than your only son? And how do you, how do you show that? Small requests to test devotion often come our way. And so very often we refuse. Here God calls Abraham to sacrifice his only son to test his devotion. Whoa. That's the only word I could come up with. And how does Abraham respond? Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and said, and his son Isaac, cut the wood for the burnt offering and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day he lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. He leaves first thing in the morning, no hesitation, and he travels for three days thinking about this. Three days he has to think about this. What is going to happen? We have to say that his trust in the Lord has grown. That seems to be obvious in the text. We don't know if he expected a miracle. It seems, to, it seems that way as he speaks to his servants in verse 5. He says to the young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And rather interestingly, before we see what happens, there's some dialogue that takes place. There's dialogue and what we, we see is Isaac talking to his father. Verse 7, Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? There is relationship here. He says, My father. And Abraham says, Yes, my son. There is not this notion of, well, I, I just have to separate myself. He's just an offering now. There's a relationship here. Then verse 8, after Isaac has asked, Abraham says, God will provide for himself. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Well, parents, I think what we can see here is there are certain things that we cannot provide for our children. There are certain things that we must remind them they need to look to God for. 
the provision for their sin. Because that's what we see here. Our sins are the fire and the wood of the story that are ready there for the sacrifice. And we are the ones who should be on that altar being consumed. How can we expect any outcome other than to be consumed? But God's goodness jumps out at us in this text. He shows us his goodness. Hebrews 11 says that Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead and figuratively speaking, he received Isaac back from the dead. He he wasn't clear as to how God would do it, but he was confident that God was good and he lovingly, the Lord lovingly provides. And he does so in our lives too with these tests. He says, do you love me more than these? I will provide what you need if you trust me. I will deliver you from what you need to be delivered from that you cannot deliver yourself from. Do you trust me? Then live for me. Well, God may bring you right to the edge, right to the edge of things in life to reveal what sin deserves. But praise be to God, he provides a way out. He provides a substitute for your sins. Just as Abraham's ready to kill his son, an angel, a messenger, Malak in the Hebrew, a messenger could, could refer even to uh, a prophet, uh, as, and we think of ministers bringing that word. They spoke to him and said this, verse 12, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. You've not withheld anything from me. That's faith. When Abraham lifts his eyes, he sees a ram caught in a thicket and he places that ram on the altar in the place of his son as a means of propitiation, as a means of covering sin, pointing forward to the one who would come, the substitute, the child of promise, the only son of God. God says, I will not hold back anything. Is he good? He absolutely is good. His goodness is seen at the cross. There, justice is satisfied. Mercy is poured out for believing sinners. What did Abraham Abraham learn that day? Jesus says that Abraham saw my day and he was glad. John 8, 56. Abraham was an Advent man looking forward to the promise as we are to be Advent people looking forward to the promise of the coming one. Trusting that God is bringing us to that place. Recently I heard someone say that Christians sometimes have a sort of of course attitude when they hear the gospel. Of course. 
You hear it all your life. You grow up with it, and you say, well, of course. That's how God planned it, and so it worked. (laughs) That's to have a dangerous familiarity with the gospel. When we can say, of course, when God gave his only son. When we can come to the story of Abraham and Isaac and say, well, of course, God saved Isaac. We know that's what God does. But God was not obligated to do that by Abraham's obedience because Abraham was a sinner. He hadn't kept covenant with God. The source of the keeping of this promise was God's love and his mercy at great cost to him. There is no of course here. There should be wonder and amazement that God would so love the world that he'd give his only son. Wrapped up in the story of salvation, which includes the incarnation, is the goodness and love of God. He should be feared, to be sure, but he also is to be loved, for he is so good. He loves you. He cares for you. Indeed, he says, mercy triumphs over judgment. For in Christ, that judgment has fallen. And the mercy has poured out. Because God is so good. We are Advent people, those who are waiting for the appearing of our loving Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We know that God has provided and we ought to be able to say, I can't wait to see him. We behold him as Abraham did with eyes of faith. Abraham saw my day and he was glad. Through all of the testing, through all of the trial. Can you imagine the worship service that Abraham and Isaac had after the angel stopped Abraham from slaying his son? They offered up that sacrifice. That was probably the most solemn and joyous worship service up to that time in all of history. Father and Son worshiping with solemnity and with joy as they marvel at God's wondrous provision and see only in part and we see fully. We see fully that God loves us through every event in our lives. And we remember that the hurt and the pain that we experience is swallowed up by the powerful sacrifice of the Son. And now we are to wait with joy and hope to see death swallowed up in victory. God wants that attitude to grow in us all through life. He wants us to know his love, to go to him in all things, for he delights to hear from us He is a good father. He is good in reconnecting you to him, to the one who is life, 
Apart from him, you have no good thing. But in him, you have everything. Together we look for that coming one. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, our perfect lamb and sacrifice. Come, set us free from our fears, from our apathy, from our sins. Give us yourself that we might have life. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father, this passage gives us a glimpse into your plan, into your heart, we could say, when you have promised that you will not withhold your only son, that the covenant might be sealed with blood, with his death, which becomes our life. We know there are tests throughout life that reveal to us where change needs to occur, where we need to grow in faith, where we need to confess our sins. Lord, help us to see that, not to think, oh, we have to go to him and confess that we're weak and helpless again. He must really think so little of us. No, in fact, you call us to do that. And you receive us saying, I am the one who gives you life. I am the one alone who can, receive, can forgive your sins. So Lord, help us then to worship in solemnity, but also joyously as we see your love, as we look forward to the coming of your Son. Hear us, we pray, for his sake. Amen.